Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of 2022 of Angle on Producers with me, your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. January felt like it lasted forever, but it also felt like yesterday. If you follow me on IG and subscribe to my newsletter, you may have seen or read that the film I produced last summer, Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, premiered at Sundance last week. While it was a bummer we were not able to experience the film in a dark theater filled with humans, I'm glad that many were still able to watch it online. Aside from that, it's now been five months since I started at Color Creative, and I continue to be humbled and grateful to be a part of this incredible team. I've definitely been focusing on gratitude, as I admit this last week was filled with some mental health struggles on my side. Those days where no amount of yoga, wine, scented candles, baths, or anything can seem to lift your spirits. Yeah, that's been me. But it's okay. It's the ebb and flow, and it's important to remind you and myself that it's okay to not be okay. You can be living your dream and still have bad days. And it's comforting to know that you're here listening, and hopefully in all of this rambling that I do on the show, finding some reprieve as you navigate your own path. So thank you for being here. I appreciate you. And I hope your 2022 has been off to a great start. All right, enough of my TED Talk. Let's get to why you're here and hear from the resilient and remarkable Rachel Shane. Rachel has built an incredibly inspiring career. And in turn, her mission is to continue to produce inspiring and diverse projects. She currently oversees all aspects of feature film and television development and production for Madison Wells. A few of her credits include executive producer on the Academy Award-nominated Hell or High Water, starring Jeff Bridges, a producer on the Golden Globe-nominated Motherless Brooklyn, written, directed by, and starring Edward Norton, and most recently, producer on The Eyes of Tammy Faye, starring Jessica Chastain and Andrew Garfield. Look, all I'm going to say is just give those to the Oscar already. Right, especially Andrew Garfield. I mean, from playing a televangelist convicted of fraud to Jonathan Larson in Tick Tick Boom, I mean, the man is a force of nature. Previous to Madison Wells, Rachel was at Red Wagon Entertainment, where she climbed the ranks to eventually serve as an executive vice president of production under Doug Wick and Lucy Fisher. She's got a truly remarkable career, and her credits speak for themselves. She's a delight. It was a treat to talk to her. So without further ado, let's tune in and hear from Rachel. I've done so many of these now, and I still get like so genuinely excited to have like badass women like yourself on who take the time to talk to me and obviously the listeners about just the incredible path that you've had and how your career has evolved. I mean, I always like when I'm doing the research and I look through you know, all of the incredible like projects you've been a part of, the companies you've worked with, the people you've collaborated with. It's just so impressive, you know? And I wonder when you look at your own resume or at your own bio, you know, do you go, wow, I'm a badass. Like I've done a lot. Pat yourself on the back a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, I hope you do that often. Well, thank you. And I don't. <laughs> but, you know, speaking with people like you and, and talking to younger people coming up, it definitely reminds me yeah. what the journey's been. Um, but I'm always also looking about what's ahead and what I'm going to be leaving behind. So um, I appreciate everything that you're saying. <laughs> Take us back to the beginning of your journey and how you discovered this crazy business of ours. Yeah, it is a crazy business. Um, (laughs) I'm Canadian and I went to law school 
because I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I kind of did. I just wasn't admitting it. Mm. And I hated law school. I dropped out. I found this program, which was an exchange program for NAFTA, which (laughs) way back then when it was between Canada and Mexico. And it was basically teaming up people who are wanting to be, you know, young people wanting to be in certain businesses. Um, And so what I did is I lived with a family in Mexico City and worked at Televisa, which, as most people know, is basically Mexico's primary TV network. Um, And so I was an intern there. It was incredible. It was crazy. I'd never seen anything like it. And I learned a lot. And by, you know, after being there for a couple of months, I was still hungry for more. And I found out that the Mask of Zora was shooting. And I knocked on the door and said, please take me. And then they actually ended up hiring me as a production secretary. And I was on that show for, you know, it was a very, very long show. So I was on that for a while. And then one of the producers needed an assistant and I, and I came to LA and it's just kind of been about, you know, discovery and learned about development. I had no idea that that was a path. I didn't really know about producing, but because I kind of, I witnessed it while I was on the set of Zorro and then also doing more in LA and talking to more people, I discovered that there's a creative path to producing. So when you step on the set of Mask of Zorro, which was obviously a huge film to kind of be your first foray into this weird, weird and crazy business, what was that time like? What, what was that like, you know, realization for you of how many people it takes to do the work and how many different m- m- little jobs exist to make up the whole? I mean, it was pretty incredible. You know, I yeah. remember going on a set, one of the sets that was it was like a, a hacienda and so much was built around it. It was just, it was incredible how many people were involved. And yeah, I, I, it, it really opened up my eyes, but I'd been involved with theater as a younger person, as a teenager. And so I understood what that collaboration involved and, you know, behind this stage in front of the stage. So I, I understood that. I just didn't really understand the yeah massive um undertaking that a film yeah. like that you know and and so was your family bummed that after this experience you decide to go to LA and pers- continue to pursue that dream were they expecting that you go back or are they kind of like we know she's this is no, it for her that is not what they were thinking or hoping for they definitely wanted me to go back to law school <laughs> I'm sure yeah 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 but yeah. Now they now they appreciate it. Can you talk a little bit about at that time, right? Because we have a lot of people that listen to the show that are sort of at the beginning of their career mm-hmm. and to go from like a production secretary and then get to be mentored and shepherded by a producer who then brings you to LA. Like, what do you think it was about what you were bringing to the table mm-hmm. at that time as a new person in the space that made this producer go, her, we're going yeah. to bring her in? Yeah. And, you know, that first job was just filling in for an assistant who was gone for the summer. So it wasn't even a full time job. But I think, you know, I, you know, they say ignorance is bliss. And and (laughs) that really kind of was my 
experience where I just didn't really understand the hierarchy. Um, I was a, I was a very can do person. Um, I still am obviously, but I, I think that was recognized as, as something that I could, um, jump into things and really make a go of it without really having a lot of background in it um, and just being resourceful. So I think that was part of it. Yeah. I mean, would you agree that, that, you know, now, however many years later, when you're looking to bring new people into your ecosystem, is that like a huge part of what you look for, you know, in a young and hungry person is that can do attitude is that enthusiasm for it above many other things that some on the outside may think, well, I won't be able to do this until I have that. No, I, I think it's really about understanding that there is a future for you or for anybody entering into the business. If they're thinking one step ahead of what do I ultimately, and it's a discovery. So, but what do I want to do and how do I get there? And, um, you know, looking at, say, for example, if you're an assistant or you want to become an assistant um, in the development track of things, look at what the person above that is, like you're the junior executive and they're reading and they're creating community and contacts and, and they're, you know, really figuring out just kind of what those next steps would be. And I think that that's really, really helpful in terms of understanding how to get to where one would want to get to. It's interesting because I find that, you know, I come up, came up very much in physical production. And I always say to anyone who's like getting in and that so many of the hard skills can be learned, but the soft skills are so it's, it's kind of like you either have that or you don't, you really have to have that attitude you need to be consumed by it to the point where you love it so much that it does become your priority for a certain amount of years until you've like proven yourself a bit where you can be be going and elevating to that next level of what you're doing. And so many people still hit me up and have like, you know, resumes and all of this. But ultimately, it's like, I just want to know that you're going to show up and have the best attitude and be able to do the job like all of the other stuff is almost irrelevant when someone is starting out. And for me, like the people that bring that are are the ones that I end up investing in because no matter to your point as they're navigating where they want to go like wherever they end up if they bring that with them they're going to be okay Mm -hmm. so yes okay so then you come to LA and then what happens next after you work with this producer um I end up working at Imagine Entertainment as an assistant Mm -hmm. to um, Julie Glucksman who was VP at the time and She's amazing, amazing, brilliant human being. And I learned a ton. Um, You know, it was a really good place to be starting in that it had a lot of tentacles where there were a ton of people at the company itself. There was a ton of relationships and it just, it, it really exposed me to the world um, in a way that I, I think if I was at a smaller entity, I wouldn't have had as much, um, much insight into what really makes the business on a grander scale work. So that, that was my uh, lucky, lucky introduction. And what is that? If you could distill that to like a nugget, what was that takeaway for you at the time? What makes the business work? I think the politics of it really um, drove home for me. (laughs) 
And then also that it's, it's not just, uh, it's not just a simple kind of lowest common denominator content that really pushes things over the edge. There's a lot of sophistication and intellectual um, conversation and, you know, some incredibly, incredibly smart people who are behind movie making um, and TV. And I wasn't sure about that. Uh, And it was really eye opening. I always find it interesting as a person who didn't come up anywhere near how you've come up, like at what point someone knows that they've maybe tapped out or maxed out with what they're there to learn or what, or accessibility they're going to have for upward mobility before they leap and leapfrog to a different company or to the next, you know, tier of the track, like how, you know, when you're ready, if you ever even know, or is it just a matter of the opportunity kind of arising and you just Mm -hmm. leaning in? Mm -hmm. Well, I was again, very fortunate in that Julie Glucksman, um, then moved to general toppings company and I was able to have even more leeway and, and, you know, she was a real mentor to me, um, Julie, in that she encouraged me to read, she encouraged me to be in meetings. Um, and, and I really enjoyed that experience and it just made me hungry for more. And so at a certain point I was, I was just, you kind of know it, you know, if you're not as excited about what you're doing in that moment, or you know, you have more to give, um, that's the time, you know, but, but I think that one should not give up too easily and really understand that at a certain level, like as an assistant, there is a lot to learn. Um, and so, you know, six months into that job, just trying to leapfrog, it's, it's not always the best thing, you know, it's really good to, if if you have a good, good situation and you really are learning. Um, so I think that that's, that's the key. When you feel like you've stopped learning, then it's kind of the next step. She was a big part of your career. At what point did you part ways and go to the next thing? that? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't with her for that long. I think in total it was two years, but it was like formative. Um, Mm Uh, so then I went to, I was hired as a CE at Red Wagon Entertainment with Doug Wick and Lucy Fisher. And I, I was at that company for a very long time. Um, and I was able to, again, like rise up through the ranks of that company. And because they were embedded in Sony and, you know, had, had real studio level material, again, I was on the inside of that, that system. And, and it was, you know, it was, it was fascinating to kind of be a part of and, and to learn from. Yeah. So then how long were you at Red Wagon? How many years was that? I think 12. So you, start, you, started, so you started in 2000. <laughs> Maybe 11. <12 laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's a, a long time, time, a long time, a big chunk of your life. I mean, so what is it that is required of a, a creative, especially as a woman? And, and at that time, too, obviously things have evolved quite a bit. But to sustain the, the and navigate the ups and downs of I'm, I'm sure that you experienced professionally or personally during those 12 years within the same company, 
Yeah. And I think it's also generational, right? Like I think Gen Z millennials, they're especially Gen Z, they're used to um, really moving around because things change so much and like the gig economy for me, at least at that time, you know, and I, I do think I, I, I have colleagues and friends who've stayed at um, studios for years and years and years. There's just a different, sensibility around it Mm. um but you know just going back to the question of being a woman like again I was really fortunate I had um one of my bosses at the time Gail Lyon woman really forceful great you know executive Lucy Fisher partner in the company yeah she was she is an incredible human being and just you know really was at the forefront of um, kind of breaking through as a woman, uh, mm. previous generation to me. So that was great. And then at the studio, Amy Pascal, there was like a whole bunch of executives um, who are women. So for me, it, it never really clicked um, until frankly, more recently that mm. women weren't kind of part of the bigger structure of things just because I had so many, you know, examples of it around me. It, w- it was, you know, <laughs> so I was, I was a little bit sheltered in that way, I would say. Interesting. So you would say more recently, like as in when you left that company or what is more recently then? I guess maybe as I was getting more involved with production itself, you really see the disparity yeah, and, or at least you did um, and you still do. I mean, yeah, I still do. And, you know, just how women are treated differently. And, you know, I'm sure if I was in a different environment or different kind of mix of male, female um, in at a different workspace or a different company, I would have felt it more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. I mean, the production aspect of it is is a whole a whole thing. You know, I know like. I have the good fortune of looking younger than I am and it's really hard to be in a position position of leadership and commanding generally men who are in their 50s and have been in production specifically their whole life and look at you like you're just a little girl and talk to you as such, you know. Mm-hmm. The amount of times I get called adorable or sweetie or just it's not even inappropriate in the vein of some of the horrible stories that came out of obviously the Me Too movement but yeah. just that constant having to not only do the job and do it well, right, but deal with these microaggressions from men and sometimes women, frankly, uh, you know, it's just people in that space, because I feel like production is the trenches. It's like where everything it's like the the gladiator, <laughs> you're in the in the war zone of everything yeah. that we're here to do. And we talk about and it breeds a certain kind of person and it attracts a certain type of personality as well, that there are definitely these archetypes I have found now after doing it for so many years. But but yeah, but the struggle of that, and I think the the emotional exhaustion of that was never really something even I considered until I think the Me Too movement really brought that in light for me of how I had been impacted by that in ways that it never occurred to me because I was like, oh, this is just this is just how it is. Like it never occurred to me that maybe I was having that experience because I was a woman, right? And I think we've made a lot of progress. Uh, Yes, but we're still so far behind and and what we're here to do and and the respect that women have to work just as hard to receive. But yeah. So then after Red Wagon, 11 years there, 
what then what was the next step for you? How come you felt it was time to leave? What was the next adventure? Yeah, so I came to Odd Lot Entertainment and that's then transitioned to Madison Wells, which I'm, so it's the same company, but not um, the same, the same people, you know, Gigi Pritzker's company. Yeah. And I was really excited to be on a financing side. I wanted to be able to make movies that were independent. It was just something that I was interested in at the time. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, obviously I still am. And having the financing behind those decisions. Um, and it, it was, it was something I was looking for. It was exciting to have the yeah. opportunity. Did you have any preconceived ideas of what that was going to be like for you? Having the financing, having that backing versus the realities of what it was like, did they match? I knew what the realities were, but experiencing it is a different thing. You know, understanding really being on the other side of the responsibility of, where the dollars go and the risk involved and how for me, I wanted to be as respectful as possible for that and making the right decisions, balancing it with my producerial instincts, um, Mm -hmm. wanting to protect the director, wanting to protect the material, you know, it's, it's a, it's a really fine balancing act and um, really took a little bit of time for me to, to kind of fall into and, and integrate into how I operated. What was the biggest challenge that do you feel like you've overcome finding that, finding that balance for yourself and navigating both of those roles? Yes, definitely. I definitely do. And I think the thing that's most important, frankly, is having a producer. I mean, not always, but either having an incredibly close relationship with your director or having a producer who's, you know, day in, day out on set that you really can work with and trust um, if you're not going to be that person. So, you know, like with the eyes of Tammy Faye, which um, I just produced. Yes. And congrats. It's amazing. I just watched it yesterday. Yeah. Really blown away by it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Jessica Chastain, um, is an incredible producer and she originated, originally found the doc, um, and brought it to me and, and Gigi and, um, her partner, Kelly Carmichael, you know, it's just a great team. I mean, they're really fantastic producers. So, we weren't financing. Um, so we brought to Searchlight and it was kind of a relief, you know, not having to, <laughs> to balance the two. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, there, there's pros and cons. It's, it's, it's much more difficult in some ways to be constantly selling and convincing people that what you see is what they should be seeing. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's such a great note that most wouldn't necessarily consider, I'd say that the the responsibility of the financing and what that means and having to like literally straddling this line of both worlds and how that can be, you know, a very anxiety inducing process for some. I think the impression one would have is like, once you have the money, everything is so much easier. You just get to go make whatever you want, right? Like it's just, that's, that's the thing. Everyone asks, how do I get my thing financed? Where are the financiers? Where is the money? 
it's like the first question most people have when they're starting out. But I think most people don't think about the the next level of that. Like once you do have that money, like how do you sustain having that money? And if you are lucky enough to have a fund, like how do you keep that going from a business perspective, right? It's a very high risk, high return field. But it, yeah, it's like everyone just seems to think that that's, that's the, the answer. Once you have that, everything just magically, the, the Hollywood, the gates of Hollywood open for you. But the more I, I speak to women like yourself who are at this next level, like the more it's, it's like the air is thinner at the top, you know, you have less, it seems like less leeway to make those calls that could, could backfire. Um, the responsibility is, is tremendous. Like, I can't even imagine, you know, I think mm-hmm. like when I think about these hundred million dollar movies that don't work, <laughs> yeah. don't make their money back. It's, it's rough, but Hey, yeah. that's the gig, yeah. right? So now that you're a Madison Wells, like how has the, the mandate at Madison Wells shifted since it was mm-hmm. odd lot, if it has? Yeah, no, it, it definitely has. And it's, it's very much aligned with how I think about material. And I've always thought about, um, you know, the creative process and there's been a real focus on telling stories about, you know, as you say, badass women (laughs) (laughs) and people pushing boundaries and, and really focusing on voices that, that, um, just aren't, aren't getting the, the pathway to audiences. And so for me, it's been really exciting, uh, just to, to hone in on that mission. Uh, And, you know, inadvertently and subconsciously, it's kind of what I've always been doing or trying to do, Uh, you know, but this is something now um, as a, as a mandate that I'm, I am welcoming. How do you define a badass woman? (laughs) Such a big question. I know it's fine. I really believe a badass woman is somebody who not that they don't have fear, but they push past the fear. They're in touch with what they want, who they are, and they don't back down. You know, they will keep, keep the tenacity and, and really keep pushing forward and, you know, get past those no's. Yeah. And in that vein, how would you define a producer now that you've, you've kind of have touched many different, you know, strands of it, it seems what, what is that definition for you now? You know, it's really interesting because there are so many components of producing. It really is kind of a mix between being like a building contractor and (laughs) a therapist and (laughs) a mother now there's more to it, but, but that real, those are really a lot of the components and the qualities that one needs to be successful as a producer. And also, you know, I'm looking at some of my friends who are incredibly pretty uh, successful. There's like an energy level. Like you have to keep your energy up. You have to be able to like function without sleep. You have to be super organized and focused. Um, and there's a real kind of left brain aspect to it that um complements some of the right brain that other people Mm. are bringing to the table so what i'm hearing is that no matter how high you climb or how much success you reach as a producer or it seems like anyone in this business the hustle never really stops 
it's constant. And I say this because I, I'm, I've met a lot of young people that have been entering the business who seem to have this idea that once you get to, you have a first look deal or you have an overall or whatever the thing is that they, you know, place on that, that pedestal for them, that then it just gets easier. <laughs> yeah. And um, it seems like that's not the case. No, I wouldn't say that's the case. But I also think that there are choices that people can make in terms of how they want to approach their work. And do they want to be working insane hours? Do they want to be having like juggling like 12 projects at once? Do you know, and to make ends meet, yeah, on one hand, you have to do that. But on the other hand, you know, maybe there are other ways of approaching it. And I, the thing that I'm excited about, like this newer generation is that, um, the holistic uh, sensibility around living is valued in a way that I don't think it was in the past. And obviously it's not for everybody um, of a younger age, but I appreciate that to a degree that, you know, life is about living and it's not about working oneself to death. And, and this yeah. movement now um, for safer work hours and higher wages for writers, all of that is really finding ways of equity and also kind of considering what work in this industry is really about. Yeah. What do you love about your job? I love to kind of imagine what could be created and working with writers and working with directors who are just brilliant in their visions. Um, I love the concept of putting teams together and what that can create because every team kind of evolves and, and is a different combination of a result, you know? And so yeah. for me, it's, it's just, it's really enjoyable to think about, okay, what would happen if these two actors and that director and this DP all come together at once and how excited, it's almost like planning a party, you know? <laughs> and for me, that's really, it's really fun to be able to kind of make that happen and sustain it. I love that. I want to switch gears a little bit because, you know, so much of the show for me was born out of um, my own frustration with navigating how at that time, so much of my, um, identity was really formed by my job description, right? And how I would let that mm. define me to an extent. Yes. And my self-worth oftentimes as a woman, uh -huh. and, and especially as a freelancer, you're like, why am not? Why am I not getting the calls? I'm seeing this producer who always hires me, hires yeah. me on social, hiring someone else. Like, so hard to navigate that. You know, have you felt that in your career? And, and how have you navigated in yourself because it, the, the longevity and the endurance that is required, in my opinion, now that I'm so deep into my own journey to sustain that level of yourself to show up in this business is so important and I don't think often talked about. So how have you navigated that for yourself? I think honoring your emotional response to disappointment is really important, really important, you know, acknowledging it because it's, it's human. It's not, 
inhuman to, to, if you, if you're passionate about something, it doesn't work out. Like, of course, you're going to have some sort of a reaction to it. Um, and you should feel bummed and you should feel like that sucks. But in some ways for me, I go through that and then it's almost like it's re-energizing where I'm, I'm like, I'm going to make it happen this time. Um, you know, this is still what I want to do. I'm going to, I'm going to get it done. So there's that downward element, but then it, it kind of like picks me back up. And then, you know, particularly for what we do, I'll watch a movie or I'll go see an art show or, you know, go to a concert and I'm just completely inspired and it brings back to me the reason why I'm doing this, you know, gives me more energy and yeah, it's, it's not easy, but the tenacity of, of continuing and getting up and, you know, doing that after you've actually spent a moment and acknowledge that it's okay, that you're feeling a certain way is a, is a really powerful thing. Yeah. Was there ever a moment where you were like, I'm going to leave the business. This is too much. Like I can't, this is not sustainable, especially when you were starting out. Right. And maybe you got to see some of the paths that were available to you with others, 10, 20 years down the line. And did you ever go, wow, like that's what this could look like for me. Like it's never Mm going to get easier. The work is never going to be less like, whoa. Like, did you ever have that? Not exactly. I wouldn't, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that. Um, doing what you do for a long period of time, at least for me, there was a moment where I was just like, is this, you know, reevaluation, is this a hundred percent what I want to be doing for the next 10 years, the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did kind of flirt with some other concepts of what my future would look like. Um, so it was, it was a little bit of a reevaluation, Uh, And I just constantly came back to this. This is what I love doing. Yeah. Well, and with all the incredible things you've already done, I mean, do you feel, what do you feel rather is there still left for you to do? What are some of your goals that you still have for yourself? Well, I definitely have not (laughs) done that much and nor have I, um, you know, hit the apex of it. Um, Yeah. At all. I, you know, I'm, I'm constantly learning, which I, I love to do. And I'm, I'm constantly um, looking at mentors. I'm constantly looking at my friends and just seeing how they um, approach situations. And I'm always inspired by so many of the people that are in my circle and want to emulate, you know? Um, so you know, I'm, I'm stepping into TV. It's a space that, you know, with the genius show I'm definitely involved with. I have a, a certain amount of projects set up mm-hmm. with Madison Wells, um, and at networks. And, and that's definitely like another hill, like to really kind of engage in my dog's growling right now. Um, <laughs> I, I just think that you can reach a lot of people right now through that medium. And I'd love yeah. to be much more, um, engaged in it. And on the feature side, you know, the same way, I I think right now, my goal is to try and and reach a bigger audience and an audience as big as possible while still maintaining um, art and concept and emotion and, you know, um, impact 
but really finding things that that audiences are going to tap into. Yeah. How do you then create space still in your life for the good old, you know, work-life balance, which I don't, I don't love that question because I think that's misleading. I don't think balance is the word, but how do you create space in your life for, for these other things to, to fill your well creatively to inspire you, but also things that have nothing to do with the business? Like, was there a roadblock for you in your trajectory and then you sort of figured out how to get around it and, and have a little bit of better dynamics with that space? Yeah. And something I'm still working on, but, (laughs) um, you know, I think it's very empowering to create boundaries and it's a little bit about recognizing one's own self-worth and knowing that, you don't have to be on call 24 seven. And if you can say no to certain things, it almost, it, it makes you um, more empowered and therefore you in turn will be perceived in that manner. And so there'll just be more respect for yourself and for others in terms of how they treat you. And I think it's really about, you know, recognizing that you're a human being, you're not a machine and how you want to live your life. You know, what do you, what do you want for your life? And obviously like if going 24 seven is your passion and that's what makes you sing, that's what makes you happy, then that's great. And if you get energized by it and there's just nothing more than you want in your life, that's awesome. But just being in touch with what you want and how you want to create um, your present is important. I think that's massive. I I feel like you have to take inventory of the journey. And if you're headed in the path that you want in the speed that you want and how you're showing up for that, because I've met a lot of people that kind of blinked in a decade past and they were stuck doing something that they necessarily didn't want to be doing um, because they were like just going and they thought like to your point like yes I love working I love doing this but it was always with the goal to to shift gears and go somewhere else and then they kind of didn't and they missed a window and I I wonder you know if that is kind of what breeds a lot of the cynicism and and unhappiness in our industry is people Mm -hmm. that kind of get stuck in a lane that they never really wanted to be in and never gave themselves the opportunity to to take that space and create those boundaries. And and yes, it, I think it, this industry attracts a lot of really ambitious type A people. It's scary. It's scary to take the foot off the gas when you do love it and you are ambitious to that point and it's all you kind of know. And trusting that creating those boundaries actually may bring you better opportunities than they would if you were going and, and sort of like working yourself to the bone. I always say like having something else that isn't necessarily this business that also fills your well, I think is a really good way to have that gauge so that you don't get too lost in it. And you have something that pulls you out and reminds you that there's like a world outside of our world, our VAR Hollywood bubble. So yeah. And that's just my own monologue on that. Like I think. (laughs) Very good Um, monologue. (laughs) Thank you. Best podcast monologue goes to. Okay. So I have one final question before we move to the lightning round. If, if there was a legacy that you could leave behind, what would you want that to be? Yeah, well, I think there's a dual legacy. I think 
One is to pass on as much as possible that it's the people. I mean, it sounds very trite, but it really is about how one um, interacts and, and um, respects another human being. And, you know, it's something that I've, I've learned over the years that it's not an exclusive element to being successful in some ways it actually informs those those who are successful and so there's there's that 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 um you know and things are changing and and I'm really excited about about that and then secondarily you know I I really want to continue working hard to um create change in in the business from um helping others find paths to inclusivity and representation, not only for myself, but, you know, for the industry as a whole. And what are, what are the things, what are the details we need to be doing to get there as opposed to it just being this kind of, you know, overarching statement. Um, and hopefully the, the business will change even more um, as, as things progress and, and it has so much, um, as of now. So, but there needs more. So that, that's, those are the two things that I'd, I'd love to be able to leave behind. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Well, I mean, I think like even just being, uh, having these conversations to me, it feels like definitely a step in that direction. I hope that th- this, this podcast, this show can be like a little time capsule that anyone can discover however many years down the, down the line, and it can provide that insight to them and, and showing them, the, the various incredible journeys that women and people of color, which is very much the, the goal, you know, the, the, the focus of my show have had to get where they are and what is possible. I hope it leaves people with that um, sense of possibility. Yeah. So here we go. Lightning round angle on producers. What's a song that teleports you to a happy place? Age of Aquarius. What is the last piece of art that moved you? Could be a book, a film, a show. Going to the Hollywood Bowl for the first time in two years and uh, experiencing what that, just the music, it was great. Amazing. What show did you see? St. Vincent. Nice. Okay. Okay. Fill in the blank. When I'm overworked, blank helps ease the stress. Wine. (laughs) That is the go-to for like 85% of answers is wine. I feel like wine should be a sponsor of the show. We're going to make it happen. What is one of the most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And it doesn't have to be financial. It's a really good thing. Um, I was going to say my Peloton. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, my Peloton. Hey, I love it. Okay. So the last and final question I growing up, I loved inside the actor studio. I hope to have inside the producer studio one day. So borrowing from that show, the final question, which was inspired by the famed French journalist Bernard Pivot, which is if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Mm, what a question. You are welcome. You know, not just welcome, but you are welcome. I love that. (laughs) I love that. Well, this has been such a treat. Thank you again for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with me, to share a little bit of your wisdom with the listeners and your journey. It's so special. I hope and dream that like 10 years from now, I can revisit this with a lot of the women and just see like, 
where things are at and like compare the conversations. That would be so fun personally. Um, <laughs> but no, just endless gratitude to you. Um, and, and, and yeah, any parting words? Yeah, just to you. Um, thank you so much. And I'm very curious in 10 years from now, you know, where you're going to be because you obviously have a ton of insight and it's been real, a real pleasure to, to have this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in and doing this life thing with me. If you like the show, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. I'm at Carolina Gropa. You can find the show at angleonproducers.com. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you next week. Beijos. <laughs>